Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we have a guest that we are interviewing. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah Coderre, and my pronouns are they, them. Excellent. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the books we're discussing today? Um, so we have um, Power Surge is the first one in the series. That's a young adult urban fantasy about a teenager who finds himself drawn into the world of demon hunting. And then there's the second book in the series, Power Inversion, which is once Aaron is immersed in that world already, their partner gets kidnapped by a demon, and they're on a rescue mission to save him. There's also um, a prequel novella called Life Minus Me that's one of the side characters um, on her own little side quest. And then can you talk a little bit about the way trauma works in your writing? All right. um, That's changed a little bit over the years. But in my in the series we're talking about today, I guess there's a lot of trauma. Um, (laughs) And it it's a lot of some of it's part of the character's backstory. And then some of it happens in the book. and, you know, some of it is, like, catalyst for change for the characters to happen. Some of it's tied to the plot. Um, some of it I put in there because I think it's things that I've gone through that other people might find helpful to see on the page. Some of it's stuff that just kind of, you know, came out of nowhere, um, but worked with the plot. I-, I tend to be a panster, so not everything is, is planned. <laughs> so some things kind of come up and catch me off guard and, you know, I... I run with them. Other times I go back and and take them out. So piggybacking a little bit off of, of that concept of like, sometimes you've got a plan and sometimes you don't. uh, I I, kind of feel like I know where your answer is going to (laughs) go on this, but uh, for our, our audience sake, uh, do you feel that trauma for the sake of trauma is valid for characters to go through or does it always need to be plot related? I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by trauma for the sake of trauma, because I don't feel like authors should go and make bad things happen to their characters just for the sake of torturing their characters. But that—that that is what we're talking about. Okay. Um, um, there's, there's some, there are authors, and I will say storytellers. Not, it's not always books, uh, who just put things in the narrative for the sake of shock value or just to serve as a plot twist or to force a character to to have to deal with it and it it could very easily just not even appear and nothing negative would change you know like yeah uh, those that, are that's usually really the contrast that we're we're kind of after. those are usually the books where a trigger warning and a spoiler feel like the same thing and if they feel like the same thing you might not be taking care of your reader yeah yeah, no, um, I, I try to either, it's either, I, I don't, like, it either has a purpose for the plot or a purpose for the character arc, or I'm trying to incorporate it because it's something that, um, like, I feel like needs representation, maybe, in books, mm-hmm. but not, I never, I don't do it just for the sake of, like, shock value or making, you know, because I want to make something bad happen. Right. Have you ever started writing a trauma in one of your books and had it take over or have more of a story impact than intended? Or alternatively, have something just not have uh, have less of an impact than you intended? I think with um, I've definitely found that 
some little piece of backstory that I, I thought wasn't going to be as significant actually ends up really shaping who her character is and how they interact in the story. Um, I think that kind of happened with Power Surge. There's also... Um, I just lost where I was going with this. There's also been times where I didn't plan to write something and then it just, you know, showed up. Um, <laughs> in times where I've put things in and then ended up just taking them out because they didn't actually actually fit. Um, yeah. So a little, a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both, I guess. Um, kind of, so staying in the same vein, uh, you have kind of i don't i don't want to say a lot of background characters but your background characters in your series don't feel inconsequential um they're not really replaceable yeah <laughs> um do you ever write in trauma for those background characters without planning for it to have an impact on the story and if so does it ever kind of leak into the story so I have a lot of background for the characters in this series, and maybe it's like what you see on the page is like the tip of the iceberg. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> I I could I could write in the series forever, but yeah, it does um <laughs> it does seep in because like for example in Evanstar Chronicles, um like Aaron's aunt Lucy is only like in very small amounts of the story but you know she's lost her brother who was Eren's father she's had a severe injury hunting demons and you know those are pieces of her backstory but you know even like the little time she's on the page they influence you know who she is how she acts how she interacts with other characters um you know where like Eren's father you know he's never been in the book he's been dead for a long time but like that like the trauma from that that death kind of interacts with almost every character in that family in some way. And when I start when I came up with the backstory for that book, like I you know, I hadn't quite realized like I just was like, okay, this character is, you know, has their mother but their father passed away and then it just spiraled into this like, you know, thing that changed this family and drastically and you know it's it's on the page a little bit, but there's so much like backstory of it in my head and you know, I had it had just been like a little detail that came out of nowhere ten years ago when I or actually it's more than ten years ago now that I just started Power Surge and um you know, became a defining thing for the the family. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, could that makes sense. That's that's definitely one of those where reading it i kind of had this this feeling of like it being such a a, a pervasive like non uh <laughs> delved into thing uh like that that very much carries carries through in the writing yeah so pivoting away from trauma for a moment we'll come back to that we have more questions but uh <laughs> okay. so other things that affect characters uh, other kinds of backstory for them uh, what is your approach to um, incorporating visible characters of color in your work? What do you do to make it go beyond social coding or not? So this is one thing that I guess is, has changed over time. You know, when I started writing, I was more naive and less aware of like my own privilege and how that influenced things. 
Um, and I'm a lot more careful now. Um, but what I, I try to, like, one, like, little thing I try to do is every character I try to describe, like, their skin tone. So it's no, like, default white. And that was something that I learned from my critique group. Um, you know, I honestly don't know how good I am at the, the social coding part of it. And that's an area I definitely need to improve in. Um, I know with the Evanstar Chronicles, you know, part of, like, I know one of the characters of color is Nibin, the elephant. And p- honestly, part of where that came out is I was like, every elf in, like, Lord of the Rings and these high fantasy things are white. Like, I can't, I, I need to have, you know, just to kind of go against that, right, that the, I need to have elves that aren't all white. Um, but then because, you know, like, the elves and fairy culture is completely different from human culture, there's not necessarily maybe the kind of social coding that there should be. And mm-hmm. I've been I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I don't know that um you know, I have a lot of unanswered questions about like how I, I handled it, you know, in my early books and if I should kind of try to adjust anything as the series goes on, but then the series is already, you know, I feel like something's already set in stone, so it's more like, you know, how can I do better in my future books? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, mi- copying real world racism into elf culture, that doesn't seem like a solution to me. So, yeah, no. that that's definitely tricky. Yeah, because I didn't, you know, like in my head, the whole, like I have this whole culture planned out and like for elves and stuff, and it doesn't have the same racism that the real world has. But then, and you know, I feel like as a white person, I couldn't necessarily really understand what that racism is like so it would be hard to kind of find a parallel for it but then I don't want to feel like I'm erasing anything either so it's you know it's a tricky a tricky subject and I still have a lot of learning that I need to do yeah uh so then to something to some things that we can tell you definitely incorporated uh for queerness do you tend to write characters with a specific orientation? Do you generally spick- stick to depictions of queerness with which match parts of your identity? With my main characters and then side characters that have a significant role in the story, I do. I tend to write, like, you'll see a lot of, like, bi or pan characters in my stories. Um, and less characters that are just lesbians or something, or just gay. Because I'm I'm never sure if, like, bi or pan fits better, but because, you know, that's my label, then I tend to, that's kind of, I kind of default to that for a lot of characters. And um, and then as I've kind of exploring my identity more, I've been writing more Demi and Ace Spectrum characters. Um, but sometimes with a side character that, like, I will, you know, venture into different identities if it's not, you know, if I'm not writing from that person's point of view. Um, like in my- One second, real- Oh, go ahead. Who has a hammer in their background? A what? Someone is hammering in oh, someone's background. That's me. I'm like as far okay. away from that as I can possibly get. Okay. All right. So Nicole, you're going to be able to edit that out. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, Sorry. I went. I went upstairs because downstairs it was too loud, but I can still mm-hmm. can still hear it up here. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Sorry for that. Degree. Okay. All right. So, uh, sorry. Did you have more about depictions of queerness? <laughs> no, I can to. um I just sure. got I just totally went blank. So can you kind of prompt me sure, back um, to where we were? So you're saying that with whether you 
stick to depictions of queerness which match parts of your identity. You were talking about bi and pan characters. Yes. Okay, yeah, and so if it's a character that, you know, I'm writing from that character's point of view, I do try to stay in my own lane more. Um, mm-hmm. But when they're side characters, then I still I still tend to write a lot more characters that have something in common with my identity, but I'll write different queer identities if I'm not writing from, like, that point of view strictly. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as gender goes, I do write a lot of non-binary characters, but if a character's not non-binary, then they tend to be my assigned gender because, you know, for the first, you know, 28 years of my life, I lived that assigned gender, so I still feel like I can write that. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. But, so, so most of my characters tend to either be non-binary or they tend to be female, um, if it's from their point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I always find uh, really, really interesting. Um, and just what people choose and how they choose to depict to pick things in um, in fictional settings. What, if any, do you think is a good example of queer culture in your books? And it doesn't have to be something that that directly parallels the real world. But is there is there anything in your in your books that is explicitly queer culture? That is a really good question. Um, and I'm not sure how to answer it because I feel like I've been kind of isolated from queer culture for like, I, that I don't always recognize when I'm putting it in my writing or not. I, you know, like I don't have, I really in general don't have a big social life in real life. So I, I'm not 100% sure how to... I'm sure it's there. I just... (laughs) It's just something Mm -hmm. I always struggle with because I'm not really... Off of Twitter and off of Discord servers and online spaces, in real life, I don't really have a queer community that I'm part of. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm never quite certain. Like, I I rate, you know, from my own lens, but I'm not... Sometimes I'm just not certain if it's... If, like, there is... I don't know. Um, but I guess, like, found, like, there is a, a mix of, like, I found family is something that I feel like comes up a lot in, in queer books. And in mine, there tends to be a mix of, like, you know, like, when I talk about, like, the Evan stars, like, there's the ones that are literally related to each other, like Aaron and their grandfather and their cousin Mel. But then there's also, like, Sister Marie and Karen and, you know, Jose and these other characters that aren't related biologically but they're all you know they're all just as much family um Mm -hmm. so i think that would be um one example and then having characters that maybe don't make the same assumptions about people's genders and identity that um like a cishet character would um maybe would be another example i'm trying to be like very deliberate about you know even the characters that are cis not you know like they're still asking people's pronouns and not just like assuming mm-hmm. things based on people's appearances mm-hmm. okay yeah, that makes sense uh, and then for kind of our our third uh aspect of character creation that we uh ask people about have you ever had a character surprise you with a disability after you started writing i can think of two instances of this kind of with I'm writing a book from Mel's point of view right now that's 
outside of the series, but still um, some of the same characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the main Evanstar Chronicles book, like, you would, you know, see her healing people when maybe she shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> and we'll as, <laughs> you know, when she didn't really have enough energy to heal someone to do it anyways. And when I started writing a longer book from her, her point of view, figuring out why, I mean, like, it's 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 a mental illness thing. It has to do with, it's like a compulsion and an addiction. Um, uh-huh. So I guess I don't know if that would really, maybe that falls into a slightly different category. But it when I was just writing Mel as a side character, I hadn't quite, like, didn't really delve into, like, how tied in it was to her, her mental health, I guess. And when I started writing from her point of view, I was like, Oh, this is why she's always healing people when she shouldn't. I um, mean, if depression and anxiety count as disabilities, then yeah, then yeah whatever you want to label or, that as sounds or, like it. Yeah. Yeah. Or addiction would. So, um, <laughs> so that was a, a surprise. And even when I was creating Erin, I mean, Erin is a character that evolved over a decade because I started writing Power Surge when I was a freshman in college in 2007. Um, Mm -hmm. it got published in 2018 and so Erin kind of stayed with me through like acknowledging my own depression getting diagnosed with ADHD and so some things about their character I wrote and it was clear that it was you know they were depressed that they did have ADHD but when I first started writing it I wasn't like I was writing these things but I didn't necessarily know exactly what they were and as you know i left the book alone for a while came back to it i was like yep okay we both have this disability it's like and Mm -hmm. then you know then i tried to make it more explicit and revised how i portrayed it but in the very first you know earlier drafts i wasn't you know like i wasn't necessarily planning it but it was showing up because i was kind of writing Erin through how I experienced certain things and um, so that in some ways was kind of a surprise too because but it it evolved so much over such a long period of time that by the time you know it was getting into its final complete stages it was very deliberate Mm -hmm. okay Uh, and then do you consider your characters physical description when you're writing how other characters treat them uh, especially concerning uh, visible disabilities, too. Yeah. Especially concerning what? Disability. Uh, visible disabilities? Oh, vis- visible disabilities. Yeah. I mean, most of my characters' disabilities are invisible, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of Lucy, who is very has very little time on the page, I guess. Um, so in terms of disability, it's not thought of a whole lot because you can't really a majority of the characters you can't see their disability mm-hmm. like most of well it- i mean in even things like body type or um or or any signs of visible neurodivergence or uh you know and even and even things like that okay so f- thinking about it that way then it did affect how i wrote the way say iron's grandfather treated them or looked at them um like Aaron's grandfather treated Aaron and Mel very differently and Aaron's neurodiverse Mel's not um so Aaron's grandfather was a little bit more 
protective of them. And it was probably unnecessary because Aaron is actually very tough and resilient and strong. But um, there was a, a little bit of, I guess, ableism in some of the older characters and the way they treated Aaron. Yeah, um, I think I want to circle back to this in the spoiler-filled section because I have a very specific <laughs> question about <laughs> the grandfather and uh, okay. how he treated Aaron. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to ask you <laughs> yeah, this again. Yeah, I definitely come back to that in the spoiler section. <laughs> so uh, before, well, we still we still have a couple questions before we move on to that section. Okay. Um. Is there so I'm gonna kind of take uh two of our questions and and put them in I, I feel like they might either be related or one kind of takes more precedence than the other in your in your writing. Okay. Um so how does how does setting influence culture in your series? And uh what, if any, do you think is a good example of a marginalized culture in your writing? So, I mean, it's mostly a contemporary setting. Um, but I I will throw this out there. You do have uh, at least references to um, uh, angels and elves and demons. And yeah, do I mean, in at least from reading it, it seems like they even have kind of their own own cultures as well, even if it's not something that's like directly uh entangled with in in the story yeah um i guess so from that sense the the little bits of the book that cross over into fairy um the setting does show that there is a different culture there with like the brief interactions with um aaron's grandmother and great-grandmother together like that conversation is very different than a conversation with um say aaron's grandfather in the regular right. world <laughs> Um, because there is this, you know, that's a place where people are, you know, elves are living thousands of years. Um, you know, I have this whole like social and political, you know, world created in fairy, and I don't know if I'll ever get to write about it. Um, I could honestly, <laughs> I, I if could, you do, <laughs> I want well, to read about like, it. I could, I could go on a tangent about that because the there's like different, um, you know, like I guess I could say countries, but our nations and but the one that Aaron's grandmother and great grandmother are part of the great grandmother's kind of like has been ruling it for thousands of years but she's kind of hands off with it and it almost has sort of a a socialist democratic system of um like every like you know there's not really like private owned land like everybody has access to food and healthcare um and things are are voted on, but then there's also kind of lurking in the distance. There is this one, you know, ruler that could at any <laughs> time come and take control back of everything, but allows it to kind of function at, in a more socialist and democratic um, way. And part of me would love to write a book like just set in this world and really like dig into <laughs> into that so whole it's like whole culture. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so just it's like democratic, democratic socialism with a magical banhammer, kind of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I would, you know, maybe someday I'll write like a, a short story or a, you know, another book, just you know, with characters and fairy that's completely set 
aside from it because <laughs> you know i created that oh, whole man. thing you know mapped out and it, it would be fascinating you know because there are lots of good things about it but then there'd also be problems too yeah so, right <laughs> you know so or, it would, oh man i i would in a heartbeat read just like a like 20 short stories slice of life one chapter per character or setting or whatever like of of all of that culture that just shows all the ways that it interacts like oh my gosh yeah like like that, that was definitely something reading your books i was like i want i want to know more about this yeah because <laughs> there's things that impact mel and impact aaron even when they don't know about him yet and and yeah. and like I, it, it was it was one of those things that reading it as a reader, I was like, oh, man, just on the edge of where I'm allowed to know about it. There's this thing and it seems so rich. It seems such a good, <laughs> complex tapestry. It has rules and it has things and I don't know what they are. There's only so much I can fit. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I, would, I would read that in a heartbeat if you ever write it. <laughs> you know, I wrote it. It's, it's not in the same world, but I've been fascinated when I think of like world building of how sort of socialism kind of interacts with different kind of governments. So I had written a short story in an anthology, which actually is out of print now, where it was um, sort of a feudal society but there was one character that you know everyone was trying to kill because she was trying to implement more socialist policies in her kingdom or kingdom or queendom um Mm -hmm. and it was told from the point of view of like her sister who or not her sister um her sibling who was trying to you know protect her from all these assassins and but that's (laughs) out of print now um yeah but yeah no someday i might have to dive delve more into um maybe even in book three i'll be able to fit a little bit more in so i still have one more book in the trilogy okay so it is it is planned as a trilogy but then with like yeah attached books (laughs) yeah because there's a trilogy basically a trilogy from aaron's point of view that is their character arc and they're them trying to stop this like apocalypse that's coming Uh Um, and that's the the arc of the trilogy but i can't stop writing these characters so (laughs) so like you know like mel and mike are mel Mel has a pretty significant side character but mike is just like one of those little ones on the fringes that has this whole complicated backstory too (laughs) so i'm writing a like a college paranormal romance where about how mel and mike met and you know, Mel actually ends up in this sort of love square where she's choosing between um, like a poly relationship with these two girls she meets at college and then Mike. And obviously anyone who reads Evanstar Chronicles is going to know how it ends, but to... (laughs) (laughs) So it's been kind of an interesting challenge trying to, like knowing how it ends to try to really write it so that, you know, new readers really wouldn't know who she's going to pick. Right. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's not this like, of, well, of course, inevitable. Yeah, and you know, so, <laughs> so people doing who, justice to both options. Yeah, I really need it's it's been a challenge to try to do do justice to them because in my head, like I know how you know who she's gonna end up with. Um and I hadn't planned to make it a love triangle or square, but then these other characters just kind of popped up when I was writing. <laughs> and I was like, it would be easier to take them out, but I'm like, but I really like them. <laughs> and um, so, 
the, I guess there's still a chance that if I don't pull it off, they couldn't pull off the triangle. I could end up taking them out, but I'm trying really hard to to keep them in. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I do like that. Just something I'm like thinking about as you're as you're as you're talking about that. I really appreciate that. Uh, character identities are are more nuanced than just I am bi and I have a partner <laughs> or I am Polly and that's the only thing I have and that's the only thing I've ever wanted. You know, like a character making a choice between two vastly different relationship dynamics. Yes. That's, that's not always something that yeah. you just see in like there's there's and I'm not and like I'm I'm just this is just something I'm I'm I don't think I've thought about this before like I'm just thinking about it now like there's a lot of times where you'll have a character that's like oh am I or am I not but it's never I know who I am and there's more than one option available to me <laughs> yeah does that I mean, make I'll, sense like yeah it does and you know, there is a lot of like Mel questioning her identity and sexuality in this book, um, you know, kind of figuring out that she's demisexual. The two girls that she could possibly choose are both Aloe. Mike is great ace. Um, and that's a d- detail about his identity that never came up in, you know, the, the trilogy because he's such like a minor character. Um, so it's like a really complicated um, thing. And there's, there's even like more layers to it because he kind of almost knows about the supernatural in the in the beginning and part part of how she meets him is because he's working with these paranormal investigators but he has no clue what kind of supernatural stuff he's really getting into um (laughs) and almost gets himself killed a few times where the two girls know nothing at all about the supernatural and it's kind of like a place where mill feels like she can be human she can have sort of a a normal life and keep her you know, keep the fact that she's not entirely human and keep her supernatural life separate. So it adds a layer to the choice. Like, do I want a relationship that might eventually lead to a person getting pulled into the world of demon hunting or one that's going to keep everything, you know, my romantic life separate from, um, you know, my family's like dark secrets and stuff. Uh-huh. So it's a very, like, it's a complicated story, I guess. Yeah, like I can. That sounds like it'd be really cool to read, but also I just I hear that and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad she ended up with Mike and that we already know that because (laughs) otherwise, I mean, or or you could if 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 it had gone instead that she ended up with the two girls, you could then have like the follow up of how many years later when like they find out about the demon stuff because like that's a lot to keep secret. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm. I'm always in favor of fewer secrets, please. please yeah. You know, I, as I'm like rewriting the end, I'm toying with the idea of them actually maybe not finding out the whole truth, but, you know, learning some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book is very much. And the much, reaction is. Yeah, the book is the very much. The reaction is still part of the decision. Progress, so. Uh-huh. Anything could happen with it still. So I think have. One last question. One last question for the spoiler-free zone. Okay. Uh, for our audience at home, please excuse 
please oh. discuss how and whether you use queer inclusive language in your writing. Okay, queer inclusive language. Um, even even something like the main character is non-binary and they talk about talk that. About like it. that's yeah. a kind of yeah. Queer so I do try to do a lot of that. Um, sometimes, like uh, my dog is barking. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, your your dog is a welcome guest. <laughs> I think I think he stopped. Okay, so yeah, like sometimes even if it's not directly relevant to the plot, I try to find a moment where someone might naturally think about something like that. So, like, with Erin, it was easy because they experienced a lot of dysphoria about certain things. Um, Uh So there are moments when, you know, I would feel something would happen and I would feel dysphoria about it and I would think about it. So in if Erin was in a situation like that, then, um, you know, like, even, like, you know, getting... Even something as simple as like getting dressed to go out or something like, do I put a binder on or not? Um, it like so uh-huh. so there's things like that um, are are easier to do. But then, like in the prequel novella Life Minus Me, I wanted to somehow bring out like you know acknowledge that Mel is Demi, but there's no romance or anything. So I mean, in some ways, her sexuality wasn't really relevant to the plot. But I still found a moment where. It was kind of a quieter moment in the book where she was thinking about something and it just, you know, kind of came up and thought um, because I wanted to make it clear to readers that, you know, this is who she is. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, with sometimes with characters that are questioning, then there's also plenty of time for the character to think, well, am I am I this identity or is this one a better a better label? I, in, in the beginning of Power Surge, like, the non-binary coding, I think there were a few times where Aaron labeled themselves as that, but there hadn't really been anything explicitly saying, oh, Aaron is bi or pan or something, because Aaron really doesn't know um, yeah. at that point. And, you know, Aaron has so much, like, other things going on that they really, at that point, you know, hadn't really had time to really self-reflect and think. Um, and in the uh-huh. beginning of Power Inversion, there's like, you know, this moment where, you know, they've worked past certain traumas and are thinking, okay, well, maybe I might even be on the A spectrum. But then, you know, of course, so much else happens that they don't have time to think about it again. So I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> to explore it more in book three once, um, you know, I'm hoping book three won't be, it's probably not going to be quite as fast paced as book two, but a little bit mm-hmm. more action than book one, so somewhere in between right. the two, um, which might give a little bit more time for her to kind of figure things out. Yeah. Did I answer cool. that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So we're gonna uh, bring this to a close with a couple last wrap-up questions. These are all, like, great, positive things. Thank you so much for uh, (laughs) talking about all the dark stuff in the books. Um, What is your favorite non-traumatic thing in any of your books? Pizza? All the food? Uh, The bacon? I mean, there's a lot of, like, food-related joy in these books with, like, the bacon, the waffles, all the pizza, like... Um, <laughs> even your descriptions of like the dogs enjoying doggy treats, I feel like yes. might even fall <laughs> oh. under that. 
the dogs too. Yeah, I mean, and even it, like like Bessie is probably my favorite. One of my fa- like, you know. <laughs> and then in the 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 novella, there are so many dogs and so. Oh. Much. <laughs> yeah, the dogs. The dogs are definitely dogs. The food, you know. The, I'm the, a cat person, <laughs> so when I read the when I read the novella, I was like, "Oh, dog person, cool." Uh-huh. I'm appreciating these. <laughs> I, I yeah. like. I, I actually. I like okay. dogs in theory, but in practice, they lick my face. <laughs> <laughs> I love other people's dogs. I just. I I'm. I'm less. I'm more low maintenance than most dogs I know, and I can't. I don't have the energy <laughs> to expend that on another creature if I don't on myself. Um, my my cats, I can feed and give them the litter, like change their litter and give them water and they curl up with me and they're cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> like that's different. But, but I, I, I did really, really enjoy your dog depictions. And if for the audience, I can yeah. confirm that the dogs are definitely a very happy, non-traumatic thing. Oh, they're yes. wonderful. <laughs> and And the food depending on i love the coffee shop like descriptions in general yep depending on how the audio gets edited uh the audience may also have gotten to hurt here sarah's dog (laughs) in this (laughs) sorry i realized we asked you what your favorite non-traumatic thing was and then immediately we're like oh yeah us too it's so good (laughs) sorry i I, I don't know the dogs probably are my favorite over the pizza, but my head was, is, you know, this morning I was working on the, the Mel, like, romance novel, and the dogs really aren't in that book. Like, Bessie has a cameo in it, as she's only a puppy, then she's adorable. Um, but in, in that book, the dogs weren't there, and there's so much pizza in that book. Um, and I'm hungry. Okay. Oh. <laughs> But but the dog the dogs probably are are uh, not probably the dogs are better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite book written by someone else? And if so, what makes it your favorite? I have too many favorite books, but I recently have really really enjoyed. Um, was it Once in Future and Sword in the Stars? Um, and I you know. There is just so much, like, I don't know. Even though, like, there are struggles in those books, it was just, like, this adventure in space and time with swords and knights. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. there's something about it that was just, like, this escape. And yeah, um, that was one of, you know my favorite books I've read in the past year or two. There's other favorites, but that one was really um, yeah, a good escape. And then go ahead. And for the audience, that's Once in Future by Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy. Yes. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> it's on the TBR. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad we're also already aware of this. Yeah. We're up on yeah. that. I just have a very deep TBR, which is actually how we met. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to getting to read those. I just have to uh, decide that they are the priority on the to read pile at some point. Uh, 
Do you have any queer authors and or authors of color whose work you'd like to shout out? Um, yeah, so let me try to read my own handwriting. So um, The Black Veins by Asia Monet, I really enjoyed that. Um, and that was a queer author of color. And then I don't usually read a lot of contemporary, but I read You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. And usually I don't like contemporary if there's no fantasy element, but that book just like, it made me laugh. It made me cry, but it was like happy crying. And I just, I got so immersed in the story of it, even though it wasn't my usual genre. Um, that I feel like that needs a shout out. Um, and then Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas was also really good. Mm-hmm. I am waiting for my copy to arrive in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I had read it on NetGalley. Um, mm-hmm. So I read it a while ago, but then I ended up... Um, there's a 14-year-old in my neighborhood that had a birthday recently, and I ended up buying her a copy. Um, that and then Once in Future. Um, so... Because, you know, I, I was like, I already read it. Like, I could read it again. I want to support the author. Then I thought of that neighbor. And I was like, you know, I'm going to buy it for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we're very happy to have you and talk about uh, your books. Again, those books are Life Minus Me power surge and power inversion um and what order do you recommend reading those in so it based on what i've seen from reviewers a lot of people said that they actually wished that they people who read life minus me first said they actually wished they waited till after they read power surge to read it um I've seen that come up chronologically, Life Minus Me happens first, um, but the order I wrote it in was Power Surge, Life Minus Me, Power Inversion. So you could read it either way, but I've seen multiple reviews that said they they wish they hadn't read Life Minus Me first, that it would have been better to have read it in between the two novels. Um, so even though originally I was recommending reading it chronologically, now I'm wondering if it um, if I should be actually be recommending it in the middle. Well, as someone who read Life Minus Me first, I agree with those editors, those comments. Reviewers? Okay. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I, I started Power Surge and there was just a little bit of disorientation of like, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, yeah. That some of this feels like I I I know things I shouldn't or or I'm like, you know. So I I definitely yeah. would like to 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 back those people up. Yeah, and it gives it gives a little bit of a tone break in between power surge and power inversion. Yeah, like getting to see Mel's side of things. Yeah, yeah. I think that in hindsight that makes more makes more sense to read it that way because then you already you already know all about the world and right you know, and now you're getting to just see it from a different point of view uh-huh so uh thank you so much for joining us and uh for our regular audience uh or can you um sorry i was 
thinking of scheduling things. Uh, can you, where can our audience find you and um, your books? Let's see. On Twitter, I am in Instagram. I'm at Shattered Smooth. Um, my website is sarahquader.com. Um, you can find my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble's website, um, ninestarpress.com. Most book retailers should have have it. Um, small bookstores don't usually carry it, but they can usually order it. And on Facebook, um, if you were to use Shattered Smooth, it would actually take you to my old jewelry Facebook page. So it's Facebook slash Sarah Coder one to get to my author Facebook page. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. And you can find us. We're books that burn pretty much everywhere. So books that burn on Instagram and Twitter. And then also we have a link tree that you can use to find everything. So that's L I N K T R dot E E slash books that burn. You can use that to find our reviews, our transcripts, the podcast, uh, our monthly Q and A's are on the YouTube channel. So check us out. And if, um, sounds like you'd want to read this book. So I hope that you'll check out uh, Life Minus Me, Power Surge, and Power Inversion. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.